The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place because you always are. So what's the buzz today? Well, we're going to wax a little bit of lyrics from Aretha Franklin. No, I won't sing. Everybody remember Chain of Fools 1967? Chain, chain, chain. I'm just a link in your chain. What is she talking about? Well, our topic today is real-time supply chain collaboration in the cloud. Let me tell you a little bit more. Effective supply chain operation is vital for manufacturers and retailers. But we've got so much going on around the world. We've got the forces of globalization. We've got outsourcing. We've got pressures of pricing all over the map. You've got new technologies, emerging competitors coming out of the woodwork. Literally, you never knew they were going to play in your space, but they're here and they want to be your competitors. And we have fast-changing market conditions. These all together and individually pose critical challenges to your success. How can you get past the hurdles? Well, a couple of magic words here. How about cloud and business networks? If you put them together, we get cloud-based business networks. They can help you by providing seamless integration for real-time collaboration between what? Well, you've got your internal planning systems and you've got your suppliers. The goal everybody has is the same. Drive efficiencies and savings across the supply chain. Are you ready to digitize? Are you ready to go to the cloud? Are you ready to learn more? I sure hope so because we have a great great panel for you today. Let me just tell you who they are and then we will get started with their opening quotes. First up, we are welcoming back Padman Ramakudi, the CEO and founder and what he calls the heartbeat of Intrigo, I-N-T-R-I-G-O. He hasn't been on with us in a long time. Delighted to have him back. Welcoming a newcomer, Keith Baranowski, VP of Sales for SAP in the Bay Area, that's U.S. and Pacific Northwest, and joining us as well. Also a newcomer is Marco Navala, N-A-V-A-L-A, Senior Director of Product Management for the SAP Ariba Network. We've got that word network in there. So let me circle back to Padman and read his quote. He sent me a very interesting quote, surprising quote from George Bernard Shaw, who was the Anglo-Irish playwright, lived from 1856 to 1950. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature back in 1925. He acquired a reputation, he earned a reputation as the greatest dramatist in the English language during the first half of the 20th century. He wrote, well, his most famous work, of course, is My Fair Lady in the 21st century. 1964 was the musical adaptation of Pygmalion from 19. 38. As a matter of fact, George Bernard Shaw was so great with his reputation as a writer, his work is called a Shavian, S-H-A-V-I-A-N for Shaw, drama. Here's the quote Padman has selected. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Padman Ramakudi, how are you and how's everybody at Intrigo? 
Everybody is good. Good morning, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. I love the quote. It's interesting that this man won a Nobel Prize for Literature, and here we are. He's been gone 56, 65 years, Padman, and his quote really, really works for us. So why don't you tell us, if you're a big follower, what do you think of My Fair Lady and how you picked that quote for us today? Go ahead, Padman. I really loved My Fair Lady. Uh, had read Pygmalion in school and uh, followed that up by seeing the movie a couple of times. So <laughs> definitely, definitely loved and we're going to get him back in just a moment. We'll have him call back. Keith Baranowski, surprise, you're up, Keith. You're going to be actually first now. So Keith has sent me a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt lived from 1858 to 1919, American statesman, author, explorer, soldier, and naturalist, and reformer who served as the 26th president of the U.S. from 1901 to 1909. He became a driving force for the progressive era in the U.S. in the early 20th century. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt had an ex- exuberant personality, a vast range of interests, and world-famous achievements, and he parlayed those into a cowboy persona defined by robust masculinity. He was a lifelong naturalist before before attending Harvard and wrote some books. Here's the quote Keith has selected. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Keith Baranowski, how are you? I am doing great. I will uh, take it as a promotion that I moved a little bit up in the batting order here, regardless (laughs) of the cause. Go ahead, Keith. We're so delighted, and I love the quote. I've heard it before from Teddy Roosevelt. It almost sounds like a mushy-gushy, touchy-feely kind of quote coming from the cowboy, the guy who wrote the Naval War of 1812. But I'd I'd love to hear how it applies to our topic today, talking about real-time and business networks and collaboration, supply chain, heavy business topic. Talk to me. You bet. You bet. And, you know, as I thought about the team that we have on here, me and Marco and Podman, We've been working together for a long time. I've been working with Fodman for, you know, 10 plus years and Marco for just a little bit shorter than that. And this problem that we're talking about here hasn't fundamentally changed. And we've been working on it with new business processes, new technologies, new approaches uh, throughout all the market changes that we've had here over the last 10 years. And when I, when I think about it, there's a, there's a lot easier ways to make a living than, than trying to solve this particular problem. And I think the reason why we're, we're all still at it is something that, you know, we're, we're very passionate about and, and something that's a very difficult problem to solve. Uh, if it was easy to solve, it wouldn't have taken us 10 years to kind of make progress and chip away at it. So uh, Teddy Roosevelt, one of my, uh, one of my favorite presidents out there, uh, and I thought this was a very applicable quote to, to the challenge that we're looking at solving. Very applicable. And, and Keith, one comment from me, the concept of how much you care just seems uh, uh, maybe an oxymoron or a non sequitur. No, a non sequitur. Strike that oxymoron. A non sequitur to the topic. We're talking business. We're talking heavy duty. We're talking about supply chain, real time. This is, you know, pedal to the metal. And here we're talking about how much you care. Do you think that there needs to be that element of humanity, which I think you introduced via that wonderful quote, Keith, an element of humanity in, in the people with whom you collaborate in the cloud, bringing in the person part, the people part? What's your thought? I, I think that there is. A, you know, there, there's a concept out there that, uh, you know, supply chains are, are fundamentally selfish, that uh, wherever <laughs> I stand in the supply chain, whether I'm the buyer or the seller, I'm going to fight and do everything that I can to improve my position. But what we've actually found in this, this, this topic of collaboration is it's by, by working together and making the tide lift both boats, you and your business partner 
that makes the collaboration actually work. It can't be one-sided. It has to be a two-sided engagement. And I think that is that empathy for your business partner there while, you know, yes, you want to do right by your company and you, and you want to come up with the best deal. You also have to understand who's on the other side of the table with you and make sure the collaboration and, and business engagement that you're striking works for both of you. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad we mentioned that. Thank you, Keith. And now let me circle back to our first panelist who has joined us again, Padman Ramankudi, CEO and founder and the heartbeat of Intrigo. And I think everybody heard my introduction to George Bernard Shaw. Padman, something happened with your phone line. We're glad to have you back. And you were just talking about how much you love My Fair Lady and Pygmalion. So your quote is, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place, courtesy of George Bernard Shaw. Padman, talk to us. Yeah, uh, Bonnie, this is uh, a wonderful thing, despite the initial hiccup on the communication, I think. <laughs> That's fine. But, but uh, I, I tend to think um, in, in a collaborative network, we all talk past each other, and collaboration ba- breaks down. So this is an apropos uh, quote that I felt uh, resonated to me with regard to this topic, and we tend to blame these partners or we tend to blame the suppliers or the vendors and vice versa, the customers, if something didn't happen in the supply chain. And essentially, it all boils down to communication. Did we hear what they wanted? Did we respond to what they wanted? That really is the crux of the problem in supply chain collaborations. Thank you, Padman, and glad to have you back on a nice, clear phone line now. And I don't know if you heard, I think you were already back. Uh, Keith Baranowski introduced a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So there's that caring, there's that communication. I think we're in agreement here, yes, Padman, that you have to have some humanity when you're doing business, some empathy for the people in the supply chain? Absolutely, empathy and humanity are the uh, things that are void in supply chain, which was us versus them type of a mentality. And I think more and more people are thinking this is part and parcel of our team. It's an extended team that responds to our customers' needs, and we have to be same uh, with our customers, empathetic to their requirements that we are with our suppliers. And that really is showing through in the new business models that we are starting to see uh, in, the, in the future, I think. Thank you very much. Uh, we got a, a big streak of humanity coming across the wire here, and I appreciate that. And let's turn to our third panelist. He's a newcomer waiting so patiently. It's Marco Navala, Senior Director of Product Management for the SAP Ariba Network. And Marco has sent me a, an equally wonderful quote from General George S. Patton, who lived from 1885 to 1945. He was a senior officer in the U.S. Army who commanded the U.S. 7th Army in the Mediterranean and European theaters of World War II best known for his leadership of the U.S. Third Army, it's a lot of numbers, in France and Germany following the Allied invasion of Normandy in 1944. And what's interesting is, I don't know if Marco knows this or anybody, George S. Patton participated in the 1912 Olympic modern pentathlon, where he placed fifth, and he also designed the M1913 Cavalry Sabre, known as the Patton Sword. The U.S. Army War Department ordered 20,000 of of these Patton Swords in 1913, going way back in history. Here's the quote Marco has selected from General George S. Patton. Quote, a good plan, violently executed now, is better than a perfect plan next week. Wow. Marco Navallo, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? 
I'm very well. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Bonnie, and um, thank you to all the listeners. We're delighted to have you. Talk to me. Are you a big follower of uh, General Patton? And did you know that he was a pentathlon fifth-place winner? Um, yes. When I was actually doing uh, some research, I, I found out some interesting facts. As a matter of fact, I came across this uh, quote uh, um, by by reading some uh, some materials, some some articles, and what really resonated uh, so so strongly um, uh, about this quote is really the, the the background of speed and agility, and 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 I thought um, uh, that that is. The, these are the fundamental challenges that uh, modern-day supply chains face, uh, driven by consumer-driven economy, uh, which introduces uh, rapid speed in everything companies do, how quickly they build products, they make products, they deliver products, and then the agility that is present in modern-day supply chains because it's a very um, a vast network of partners and, and the participants that has to be orchestrated in a real-time fashion. So th- that is something that I, I was connecting as, as I was thinking of, uh, of, of an opening quote. Thank you very much. And Marco, I want to get your thoughts. We've talked about empathy. We've talked about communication. Is it real? Is it, is it Memorex? Is it real? Is it an illusion? Thoughts on what your co-panelists, Padman and Keith, already contributed. Anything from you on that? Yes, uh, uh, indeed, and, and you know, great, uh, great selection of quotes by uh, Padman and Keith. Um, uh, we uh, supply chain is um, is is about people at the end of the day, right? Uh, um, whether we start looking from consumers uh, all the way through to suppliers, and, and that empathy um, is is an important factor in making sure that these supply chains are agile and run fast. So. In, uh, when we collaborate and engage with customers and, and uh, talk to the leaders out there, this is something that's coming up prominently. How do we make um, uh, these supply chains work better and faster? And essentially, it all boils down to how do we empower, enable uh, everybody in those supply chains, starting from the uh, people who are in the line of business and the front lines all the way to different participants uh, in those supply chains. Thank you very much, Marco. It's a pleasure to have you on board, and thank you for the very interesting quote. Now I'm going to circle back to Padman, and we're going to find out where are you calling from, Padman. And we'd love to know, what are you drinking right now? Because this is the what's in your cup segment of our show. And or, what are you planning to drink after we're off the air later today? Go ahead, Padman. So I'm calling you from Pleasanton, California. That's just outside of the Silicon Valley, the East Bay. And I have a cup of coffee laced with condensed milk. Thanks to my trip to Thailand, Cambodia recently, I've picked up this habit of drinking sweet, sugary coffee. Hmm. And what's the basic coffee you're using before you make it sweet and sugary? What kind of coffee? Is this uh, what we used to call high test? French roast. French French roast roast. coffee. (laughs) Dark. And uh, I got into the habit of uh, drinking uh, Thai coffee when I was in Thailand and back, uh, and Cambodia recently uh, every morning. And I think the sugary uh, kick uh, really helps, I guess, early morning. Makes me happy all day long. Well, we want you, <laughs> we want you happy. I bet there's a lot of caffeine in that. Is that true? It is very heavy in caffeine. And okay. sugar doesn't... Uh, 
just accelerates that caffeine, I think. <laughs> well, you, we're, we're appreciative of that because we're really working your heart here. We have a very serious topic. We are talking about real-time supply chain collaboration in the cloud. It sounds like a lot of supply chains collaborated to get you hooked on Thai coffee. You, you need the sugar, you need the sweetener, you need the coffee, you need the French roast. So a lot going on there. Thank you, Padman. And, and again, a hello to all of your colleagues at Intrigo. Now let's turn to Keith Baranowski. Keith, where art thou and what are you drinking today? Well, oddly enough, I'm in Pleasanton, too. I'm probably right next door to Podman. Normally, we work out of our, our main Silicon Valley office down in Palo Alto, but uh, I'm up a little bit in the North Bay today. And uh, what is currently in my cup is a NOS energy drink. I am not sure what's in it, uh, but it is, uh, it's not caffeine, but it's got something. I probably don't even want to know what's in it. And uh, later today, and then it is 9 in the morning, so I'm uh, not going to be drinking an, an alcoholic beverage just yet. But uh, if I were, uh, we've got a uh, concoction that uh, my buddies came up with called the Macho Shot, which is uh, basically two scoops of uh, rough sugar, juice, juice of two limes, and then you take uh, jalapeno, serrano, and habanero peppers, grind it all together with a muddler, pour in tequila, let it steep for 15 minutes, and then you do shots Oh, my God. I'm so glad you're not drinking that right now. I'm very appreciative. I'm trying to tweet this. So it's matcha, M-A-T-C-H shot. Is that what it's called? No, macho, M-A-C-H-O. Oh, macho. Oh, excuse me. Macho, macho man. We got the village people here. Macho, macho man. Macho shot, two scoops of rough sugar. Do you mind if I tweet that? I know you don't have a, a, an active Twitter account, but two scoops of rough sugar, lime, jalapeno, peppers, and tequila. Is that pretty much it? Uh, jalapeno, serrano, and habanero. Oh, uh, jalapeno, well, serrano. One ratio. Habanero. OMG. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, I think we, yeah, I, better you than me, my dear. Better you than me. <laughs> I wouldn't make it past a, a sniff from three feet across the room away from this thing. Wow. Okay, well, thank you very much. That's one of the most interesting recipes we've ever had here, and we do like our recipes. Thank you, Keith. Bless you. <laughs> and Mark, Marco, where are you? Don't tell me you're in the same place. Uh, where are you? What time is it, and what are you drinking? Well, uh, yeah, I think matcha shot definitely sounds like uh, a drink that one could start the morning with, you know, to stay uh, alert and, uh, and, and strong. Um, it was interesting, as I was listening to, to both Padman and Keith, they, they, they have a, a sugar as one of the ingredients or some kind of sweetness. So uh, my, one of my favorite drinks is actually caipirinha, which is a, a type of a cocktail, uh, which actually comes from, um, originally from Brazil. Uh, and it's really essentially a rum, um, sugar cane based rum, uh, with some sugar, ice, and in most simplest form, uh, also with lime, right? And, uh, uh I, I love that, and it's, it's something that is really refreshing, especially in, in a hot summers like we have, um, right now. I'm actually not too far from both Padwin and Keith, uh, uh, I'm in the moment in Palo Alto, California. But, yeah, something to, to uh, look forward to on a hot days. Marco, I want you to spell that drink for me. I just want to have it in my notes. What did you call it again? Yes, it's called Caipirinha, and the, the spelling is C-A-I-P-I-R-I-N-H-A. Caipirinha. Thank you. 
Kaiparina. Thank you very much. Wow, I think there might be a hashtag for that. Okay, we're just going to put that out there. I hope you don't mind. All right, good. No Not on the air, though. Thank you very much. Very, very. These are some of the most interesting drinks. Very sweet and very uh, full of pep and punch. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And guess what? I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a cool, clear straw because I ran out of colored straws. And they do not let me have caffeine on radio show days. Today is Tuesday. We did a live show at 10 a.m. This is my second live show here a little bit afternoon, 1221 to be exact, Eastern Time. So I have to keep a cool, clear head for my very smart panelists. We're talking today to Padman Ramankudi, Keith Baranowski, Marco Navala. And I believe we have Jalen Thompson listening on the line. And Jalen, love to see your tweets. I'm looking here. Oh, we, we have Padman tweeting already. And we've got Intrigo Systems tweeting. And uh, Jalen, Jalen spells her name C-E-Y-L-A-N, not Ceylon, but Jalen. And we'd love to have you tweet at hashtag SAP Radio so we know you're here. And we're going to be right back after we take a quick break. Very serious topic. We are having fun, but we're going to buckle down here. Real-time supply chain collaboration in the cloud. Why is it good for you? How is it going to help your company get past all of the critical challenges? We're talking globalization, outsourcing, pricing pressures, new technologies, emerging competitors coming at you from every which way, and fast-changing market conditions. You need to collaborate internally with your suppliers. You need to be efficient and save money across the supply chain. We will help tell you how to do that. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Business has never been more complex than in today's networked economy. To thrive, companies must adapt and innovate. They must harness the wealth of information now available to enable smarter decision-making. They must enable effective collaboration among employees and with customers and suppliers. They must optimally deploy enterprise resources. And they must make this simple. Join our experts as they discuss how your business leaders can drive innovation that positions your company for continued success. Business Network Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers. There we are. We're back and we're speaking about real-time supply chain collaboration in the cloud with Padman Ramankudi and Intrigo, Keith Baranowski at SAP and Marco Navala at SAP Ariba. We're going to start our roundtable right now and Padman and I chatted off air and here's where we're going to start. Interesting. Let's bring in the customer side. So Padman told me before the show, retail models are changing rapidly thanks to our buying habits. Why? Consumers are demanding instant gratification. They want to wear right now today what they saw on the runway or in the display case or heard about on the news yesterday. So, companies with long supply chain threads and rigid collaboration models, uh -uh, they're losing out. Padman, please tell us more. 
Bonnie, this is uh, the nature of the game, right? Today, you and I, when we want an electronic device or when we want a shirt or a jacket, we go see it on the web and then we start ordering. It's no longer a um, long-threaded model where people make uh, products for holiday season or uh, for uh, back to school. Uh, While majority still works that way, uh, most of the millennials in the buying population have moved to the uh, to the web. That means supply chains have to be nimble and agile in order to move products from world over into your shop, into your network, really so that you as a consumer can buy immediately and satisfy your needs immediately. And that ability to switch in and out of networks and focus on translating immediate signal, whether it's social media, whether it is a hashtag that is trending uh, into mm-hmm. the supply space and bring that product, whether it's an Apple computer, whether it is an iPhone, whether it is a belt or a, a jacket from Zara, uh, that if you do that today as a, as a, as a uh, organization, you're going to increase uh, your market share and you're going to work uh, and capture a lot more markets from the millennials and from the new buying population. And that really is the crux of the problem. The back-end supply chain, as much as we want to collaborate, the ability to translate the signal from the consumer to the supplier, uh, any organization that can work through a network of uh, suppliers and immediately react to consumer demand, that really is the way um, we are going to increase market share and maintain leadership in the supply chain. Uh, I think it all starts with us as a consumer, us as a user, us as a buying public, uh, more than us as supply chain experts in an organization. So if we understand what we do as individuals and collectively how we change the behavior for entire supply chains, we can then provide solutions and opportunities to extend uh, companies how to increase their uh, market share. That's that's the uh, thesis by which I have been looking at supply chain most recently, and I think that's how uh, the trend seems to be going. Thank you very much, Pat, and good introduction to this. I'm glad we brought that whole concept of all of the ends of the supply chain. Keith, love to have your thoughts. You bet. And I'll hinge off of something that, that Pineman just brought up, which is the change of consumer behavior. And, and we feel this ourselves as not only supply chain practitioners, but consumers as well. Sometimes I'll buy something off of Amazon. Sometimes I'll buy it off of a, a retail store. Uh, really, this multi-channel approach drives uh, complexity and need of a multi-channel supply chain. And, and you know, I in Silicon Valley, we're very high-tech focused, and we've, we've seen the shift from enterprise high-tech to be much more consumer electronics oriented. And I'll use an example of a, of a joint customer of Intrigo uh, and, and our solutions, and, and that's Microsoft. And you can think about uh, you know, I've got a 15-year-old son. He wants an Xbox. I can go to a local Best Buy and I can buy a standardized Xbox that uh, that Microsoft is having built. But let's say my my son is also a, a very big fan of the San Francisco 49ers and he wants a a controller with the 49ers color on it. He wants uh, a gold body and he wants some some white buttons and some red buttons so it looks like looks like the San Francisco 49ers. Well, I can get the standard.
standard Xbox from a Best Buy, but I need to go to Microsoft to get the custom controller built, and it actually is built in, in units of one. So you can think about the differences not only in the sales channel, but the back-end supply chain. You know, Microsoft can produce... 10,000 Xboxes in a standard configuration and send the standard bill of materials to, uh, to Best Buy, but they actually have to build units of one for my son's custom San Francisco 49ers controller that he wants. And they need to be equally responsive, equally customer-facing, and equally quick and nimble in order to deliver both of those two models at the same time to satisfy today's consumer. And that's what it's all about, is satisfying today's consumer. Good pickup from what Padman introduced. Marco Navala, love to have you join us. What are your thoughts? Yeah, great. Uh, it's, it's an absolutely great way to start uh, this stuff of uh, conversation. So just to extend on, on, on points that Padman and Keith uh, made, actually, you know, working with customers, uh, talking about um, how this instant gratification and, and consumer-driven economy impacts supply chain, right? And Keith uh, and Padman started by saying how um, these these new trends are, are emerging and how that's impacting the supply chain. Uh, Keith talking about, you know, uh, lot unit of one. And in reality, what it means for companies, what, what we see and, and, you know, helping enable companies run their supply chain better, faster, is um, it's reflecting how they collaborate real time with their partners. And think of... Um, uh, let's let's build on the thought of a high-tech supply chain where you have, for the most part, almost completely outsourced the manufacturing process, uh, at least in certain consumer electronic space. Um, if you think about uh, still uh, wanting to uh, have the relationship and control certain critical components of that supply chain and then ensure timely delivery uh, you know, at the right place, at the right time, and the right quantity, um, for that one single unit, <laughs> a lot of one to be delivered on time to the right consumer. And sometimes you know, it could be retail store. You know, we, we heard the concept of omnichannel. Uh, and, and that is what, what we, are, we are looking uh, at in, in today's. And these are the challenges. So um, uh, how do we transmit this information real time to a contract manufacturer so they can manufacture this product and then ship it, and, and that's what the real-time collaboration is all about, actually bringing in all these uh, participants uh, to collaborate seamlessly and have the visibility of that information um, uh, in, in a real-time environment. Thank you very much, Marco. Padman, this was your topic. I'm going to let you wrap this up while I look ahead at Keith's notes. So, Padman, any thoughts you want to add to what your co-panelists so astutely added? I, I think uh, both of them added... Uh, Components that uh, in real life uh, bring to bear why consumers will have profound impact on the supply chains. And in consequence, the consequence of that is the supply chain network itself has to become very agile and nimble. And the overall uh, network concept that uh, is being uh, espoused and being r- rolled out will replace the old rigid supply chain models of point-to-point connection between uh, manufacturing companies or design companies and their suppliers in uh, in Asia or Africa uh, trying to fulfill those needs. I think uh, uh, we don't have to look far to see how things will change. We just have to look at ourselves and how we Thank behave. you. 
Thank you. Very, very well put. And now I'm ready to move on to something I think very interesting. And let's look at some statistics. Keith, I'm in your notes and you're citing here at EIU, that's Economist Intelligence Unit Survey. They found that only 39% of organizations have institutionalized collaboration with trading partners to maximize mutual benefits. That's what we've been talking about. 32% have taken formal action to improve collaboration. 15% and not so much informal efforts to improve it with some trading partners. And 15% collaborate, eh, only as much as they need just to get through, just to get by, just to make the transactions happen. So what's your thought on this, Keith? Why don't you tell us a little more? How did you find this study, and what do you think the implications are? Yeah, and I think the implications are, are pretty clear in that the you look at the companies who haven't formally done this, and then you have 15 to 35%, okay, that's how many who, who have and how many have done it in a systematic way is even a lower number than that. This is uh, The study really talks about who has made the effort to improve their collaboration. And I think this speaks about some of the things early in our conversation today about the traditional adversarial win-lose type of engagement across the supply chain uh, rather than being a collaborative let's share information rather than hoard information. Let's give you a visibility of my forecast so you can better prepare your supply chain downstream rather than use it against me for price negotiation purposes. So this really is showing that there is an enormous amount of opportunity to improve across the levels of the supply chain to have this mutually beneficial interaction rather than a, a traditional adversarial win-lose or zero-sum game uh, type of engagement that's been happening for literally decades. Okay, thank you very much. Marco, thoughts? Join us. Yes, uh, and, and, and again, kind of uh, to, to echo some of these um, uh, comments, what we see in reality, we work with a lot of companies and organizations and, and help them transform into this new model where they, you know, they, they see supply chain essentially as, as a network uh, where um, you have to bring all of the participants and collaborate. And a study after study will show that you know, a lot of companies uh, actually want to do it. They see extreme value. But they are they are hampered in their uh, in their desire to really achieve uh, that digitization and really for for the how we define this digitization is really uh, the exchange of information critical information uh, along the supply chain and um, uh, it's for various reasons there are historical reasons I think what we see uh, it today is because of the technology uh, because um, uh, a lot of the technology is commoditized and, and made cheap. Um, uh, it is starting to become possible to really create platforms which enable this digitization. So it's, it's easier to onboard suppliers, to switch suppliers, right? It's, it's easier to choose different form of mediums of uh, communication between the parties. So it's not rigid one kind of uh, way of doing it. Uh, and, and these platforms are becoming more powerful and in terms of more, more comprehensive, what they can handle, and of course, most importantly, intelligent along the way, because that's where things are kind of starting to move in that direction. Thank you, Marco. Padman, I'm circling around the table to you, and why don't you join us? What are your thoughts on, on the statistics that Keith introduced and what Marco added? And I think the statistics, if you start looking at this, uh, companies have uh, communicated, especially if you start looking at fashion-forward companies or consumer electronic companies, they have 
all the reasons more to uh, to institutionalize collaboration as a process and to start measuring it because uh, they are moving away from a very rigid hierarchy like EDI, which was introduced in the 80s. And uh, they need, they have found that unless they collaborate, changes in the design, changes in expectations from the consumers cannot be translated into new products very quickly. And I think uh, not surprised at uh, the low number, relatively low number uh, that people have taken, but that if you dig further into the data sets, I think you'll find an interesting problem. Wherever the digital internet or the digitization has transformed business models, formal collaboration organiz- uh, communications have become a need in most organizations. The older the company, which has not been hindered by any of the changes in the internet world, they are going to be slower to change their uh, improvements or to change their efforts to improve collaboration. And I think uh, in the world of IoT, in a world where things are getting uh, webified all over the world, Mm -hmm. uh, you will see a need to introduce collaboration in a much more formal fashion. I think these statistics are fantastic. They tell the story of where uh, transformation is taking place uh, along the business line. Thank you very much. Uh, Keith, I'm going to let you wrap this one up. I have a case study we're going to talk about with Marco in just a moment. So, Keith, any thoughts on what your co-panelists shared, please? Sure, sure. And and I think we've used a a couple of words that are probably worth spending a minute to to define here. Uh, Traditional point-to-point collaborations. Popman mentioned uh, EDI or or even a lot of companies are just sending spreadsheets back and forth and count that as collaboration versus using a network. And what we specifically mean by the network is as a supplier or as a buyer, I can connect to a network once and everybody else who's in the network can see me at the same time. And I think that is one of the fundamental, it's a technology shift that enables a mind shift into more of a win-win mindset on the collaboration. And in the old point-to-point world, uh, a, a typically I'll, I'll point to high tech and, and OEM, a major customer would buy a point to point solution. Say it's a, you know, a, a Cisco or an IBM or an HP or somebody like that. Uh, they'd invest in an EDI technology. It was their money, their cost, their technology. And they would go down to their suppliers and say, look, I'm bearing the brunt of this and you as my supplier are going to join this and you're going to use this technology in this way. And it was, it really generated that adversarial relationship because there wasn't a ton of benefit for the supplier. Now, when we go more to the network model where the entire cost of the network is shared among the participants, it's not the single buyer who's bearing all the costs, and it's not the single supplier who is not getting any benefit. They're being forced on it. So when you have that network as a buyer, I can see a whole plethora of, of suppliers that I'm not stuck paying for myself. And as a supplier, I can connect to all my buyers in one spot as well. And I think mm-hmm. that technology shift has, has changed people's hearts and changed people's minds in terms of having more of a win-win approach. And I think that's the, the spark that's new. That's the spark that's changed in order to create uh, this new style of collaboration. 
Thank you very much, Keith. Good topic. And now, Marco, I, I pre-introduced, you have an example here, a crane manufacturer. You say, companies invest in business networks for a number of reasons, but they all support one overarching goal, to build a sustainable business for many years to come. Amen to that. Right on. So, is it this company's name is Manitowoc? Uh, Marco, you want to tell us about what how they work with supply chain and collaboration in the cloud? Yes, indeed. The company is called Manitowoc. It's actually uh, a discrete manufacturer uh, of, of uh, um, cranes, uh, industrial equipment. And it's one of the customers that we've been working for, uh, collaborating for, for a long time to really understand how, um, you know, how supply chains, modern-day supply chains uh, are approached, how they're defined, and, and look how we can actually help them. So in this particular case, um, um, there, there were some critical, the company itself has been going through transformation, right? Supply chain in itself is, is really usually associated with how companies want to modernize, how they want to adopt a lean manufacturing principles, how they want to be more agile and faster in order to better serve their, their, their customers. And um, uh, this is usually combined with also transformation in terms of how they run their business. Um, you know, maybe they're transitioning from a, a forecast and allocation-driven models to more of a demand pool model, which is very, uh, very connected to this notion of a consumer-driven economy. Everybody wants to have a... a uh, configurable product. It uh, doesn't matter if it's a controller or even if it's a large uh, crane in terms of its capability. So um, the, the question here is um, you know, looking for that network, looking for one place where a company like, like this one could conduct business and, um, and collaborate with, with, with their supply chain, connect in essence, in essence once, and because they're faced with a challenge of their supply base that uh, have different maturity levels. Uh, they, they work with the companies that are many times larger than, than uh, themselves, which is reality of any company there, for, for, for a large majority at least. Um, so different maturity levels, different capabilities, um, they are also those companies that they collaborate with are looking to potentially minimize number of places where they need to come uh, to in order to do a business. So the notion of uh, having network or a platform where this is all possible. So if I connect once as a buyer, um, my suppliers will probably also look to connect not to many places, but to um, to few places to, to just make the whole process uh, faster and more efficient. Uh, and um, uh, just to kind of re- uh, conclude, the, the, the key benefits, the, the key drivers here is really uh, driving the transparency, uh, which is connected with the whole concept of lean. Let's minimize inventory. Let's make sure that we can shorten the lead time as our factory operates. And by the way, a few weeks back, we went to the factory. We actually experienced the transformation that this company is doing. So... There is no large stockpile of inventory. It is all order-driven. They do real-time signals, so they implement uh, replenishment strategies like Kanban, for example. So giving these uh, signals um, at the time when they're needed, as the production is running, um, so the right material comes to them from the right supplier, um, and basically for them driving the visibility from demand perspective, 
towards their supply base, but also understanding what is the availability of supply. And and again, kind of always bringing this notion of real time um, so they can, uh, you know, uh, be alerted if there are any issues or challenges uh, in, in their supply chain. If there are shortages, for example, or delay deliveries and things of that nature. Thank you, Marco. It sounds like to me, why not? Why wouldn't you do it if it's that successful, if it's that productive, if it's that in, in, the, in the interest of the best possible experience for your customer, for your consumers, for your suppliers? Everybody is in sync and it's humming along. Why wouldn't somebody want to do it? I'm just, maybe that's a rhetorical question, but just an answer from you and then we'll circle around to Padman and Keith and get their point of view on, on what you said. Marco, why wouldn't somebody want to have a collaborative supply chain at the level you mentioned from Manitowoc? Uh, it's, it's, it's a good question, Bonnie. And um, there, there, there could be various reasons. We, it could be, um, we, we have seen, again, working with customers and organizations that um, uh, people are just afraid of change sometimes, that traditionally uh, there have been departments and kind of the established way of doing business and sometimes change is, is hard to, to, to instigate or to start. So this would be one of the, one of the things that we have observed. Uh, but I think also companies are looking to a little bit better understand the, uh, the, the, the benefits. They have kind of, they, a lot of these companies live in that notion of, uh, you know, EDI space, if you talk business to business communication, spreadsheets, uh, and that's what they're comfortable with. So, uh, I think companies are learning that the only way to survive will be to have real-time collaboration and fully transparent for all the participants uh, which are part of their value chain. Thank you very much. I appreciate your answering my question. And, uh, yes, the change. Okay. Padman Ramakudi, Intrigo, love to get your thoughts on this. What do you think? Why aren't more companies doing this? Why are the numbers that Keith cited from the EIU study so low? I think the, there is a sense of inertia, and most companies, uh, unless they take a transformation, uh, broader transformation viewpoint as opposed to I'm under attack from the e-commerce side or I'm under attack from a new company that started up on the, world, uh, on the stage and got funded, uh, they are not going to make this change because the inertia of moving away from uh, already established EDI connections, direct connects, and all of those are uh, are not mundane to their day-to-day life. It happens, EDI happens, there's a fax coming or an EDI transaction coming. I don't have to worry about it. I have to worry about demand. And I think companies, whether in B2B or industrial or consumer space, uh, those companies that are much better at looking at it in a holistic fashion are the ones making this change. Look at Manitowoc. The way they have gone about it has gone to a lean model where even the pull from the supplier base is a single signal for a single individual product is sending a unit of one to be produced across the globe and assembled uh, in a final factory. And until people start to think that way, um, they will not dismantle existing and old technologies that are basically a millstone around their neck. And primarily, that's what's going to uh, be challenged. And companies um, have to look beyond just satisfying the consumer. They have to look beyond 
what else can I remove, what are the ways. So across the board, transformation thinking, lean thinking, and digital um, digitization to reduce costs in the movement of uh, information is what is needed uh, in order to make this uh, transition. And very few companies have thought through that, and that's, that's what we you. are Thank you. Thank you. Very interesting. Keith Baranowski, uh, going back to your, your notes from EIU, thoughts on what Marco shared in terms of the case study and what Padman just added. Love to get your thoughts here. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll say there's, a, there's certainly a part I agree on, which is you know, momentum, you know, energy. Uh, there's, there's always an excuse to not do something. Uh, where I'll say that I see more often than anything is, you know, we talked about this being an old problem, right? It, it's been tried to be solved uh, for many different ways by many different companies. And for anybody that, that, that looks at my, my background, uh, you know, I've, I've tried it with four or five different companies. And a lot of companies say, look, we've heard that you have the, the answer to this before. We've heard it from you and, and many other people. And there is a little bit of concern that this is a very difficult problem to solve and do we actually have the technology? Do we have the business processes? And do we have the internal know-how to actually solve it now at this point in time? So I think there is an, an inherent uh, skepticism in there in, you know, can this, this problem really be solved? And uh, I think now the, the market and the technology has hit a relative state of maturity that we can say, yeah, this is a new approach. It is different from, from what we've done in the past. This, this, network approach versus a point-to-point approach uh, that I think is the, the game changer here. That is the thing that's different than what's been attempted over the last 15 to 20 years. Thank you very much, Keith. And guess what? You have taken us exactly up to the point of our crystal ball predictions round. We have a lot of time left, and I want to make sure you each get I'm not going to give you the 60 seconds we usually have. I think we can go to a full 90 seconds for predictions. Uh, Marco, before we do that quickly, anything you want to wrap up on? You started this part of the conversation with your case study example with Manitowoc. Anything you want to say about what Keith and Padman added just quickly? Just quickly. Uh, to, to, to wrap it up, the modern supply chains will not function unless companies really embrace this notion of connecting real-time and driven and being kind of a demand-driven, uh, embracing the demand-driven network where signals are communicated um, instantly and the entire supply chain knows what is happening and if there are some exceptions where those exceptions are. So this is where we see the world is going and is going to be the critical success factor and differentiator for those companies that can get there early. Thank you very much. Getting there early is key. Okay, Padman, now let's circle back. I can still give you a little more than 60 seconds. Let's go for 75 seconds. Padman, look into the crystal ball, you being the heartbeat of Intrigo. I'm sure you have a crystal ball there somewhere in the office. Take a look in and tell me how far in the future. You know I love 2020. How far in the future can you predict what will be different about real-time supply chain collaboration in the cloud? What will the change in statistics be? Will they be more? Will there still be laggards? Will it still be... Eh, not so much. Uh, anything and everything about supply chain going forward. Padman, 75 seconds, predictions, go. Uh, I think in the future we'll have uh, a lesser focus on standardized products and a higher focus on uh, bespoke models, both in consumer and in B2, uh, business uh, uh, 
business markets. Primarily, this is going to be driven by uh, technologies like business networks, which have the ability to provide me with a list of suppliers that I can execute against, and planning data that comes from the consumer, whether it is from a hybris or demand or whatever demand-sensed data that is significantly uh, moved faster to the supplier network and where people can bid or uh, work with us on either exclusive or non-exclusive basis to supply units of one. So a predominant, by 2020, a lot more customized products on demand uh, and a lot less. The shift today is 80 to 90 to 10 towards uh, 90 standardized products, 90% of the products are standardized to 10% that is customized. As things move forward, I see a tilt moving where you can see 40 to 50% of the products customized. Uh, and that change is coming from uh, embracing technologies like business networks and demand-driven supply chains. Thank you. Oh, I love that one. Very good. Thank you. And I just tweeted that, and I know Intrigosis is tweeting actively and retweeting. Appreciate that. Keith Baranaski, talk to me. Predictions? I can give you, oh, just a little over 60 seconds. Go, Keith. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two. You can get a bonus one. All right. Hmm. So uh, first is on collaboration. Companies will adopt this because they have to. If you look at supply chains today, everyone has reached parity on outsourcing. They've hit the labor arbitrage. They've hit the tax and regulatory arbitrage by moving offshores. Everybody's done that, so what's next for them? They have to get more efficient with their assets, whether those are factories, warehouses, trucks, people. The way to do that is through collaboration and getting more efficient and faster flow through the supply chain. That's how they're going to differentiate and save money, and collaboration is the path. And then I think the second crystal ball topic is we are going to see by 2020 a marriage of big macro trends, collaboration being one of them, and the connection with something like IoT uh, in a factory to be able to have, again, that fast, that speed, that optimized use of those assets by keeping them up and running. And then I think we're also going to see a marriage between collaboration and the sharing economy and something that we see, for example, with Uber, where we could see uh, Uber-type technologies being the local last leg of transportation and even expanding out into being the arms and legs of Amazon, Google, eBay delivery, but also in the more of a B2B perspective for uh, using unused uh, truck capacity, et cetera, to deliver for businesses. So I guess that prediction is Uber becomes a supply chain company in five years. Thank you. And they just let themselves get acquired by a major competitor in China. Read it in the news and weep. They resisted it, but they couldn't do anything better. So here we go. Marco Navala, I got 60 seconds left. Talk to me fast. Predictions. Predictions. So the consumer-driven economy of uh, today and moving to the future will only be possible by technology-driven supply chains to support it. And you have already heard things like, you know, business networks will be in the middle of it all, um, machine learning, the supply chains uh, will become smarter uh, as a result. And... Um, the uh, technological impact is that uh, supply chains will become proactive, 
flexible in terms of uh, proactive monitoring. They'll become autonomous in terms of uh, um, ability to analyze the data. And then, of course, uh, a very important intelligence uh, coupled with alerting and, 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 and triggers that would be, uh, be um, uh, started along the way to, to indicate issues. So this is what, what we'll see. And, of course, the confluence of um, things like robotics in, in fulfillment space, self-driving trucks, you can imagine ordering a product that is automatically picked from a shelf by a robot, delivered mm-hmm. through an autonomous driving truck, and then delivered to, uh, to a warehouse where, again, ro- robots will pick it up, store it, or potentially even deliver it to the uh, consumer. So there, there's a lot of exciting things and um, a very, very exciting space and place to be in. Thank you, Marco. Just in time, we have to close. I want to thank Padman Ramakudi at Intrigo, Keith Bernaski at SAP, Marco Navala at SAP Ariba. Thank you to Jalen Thompson for putting this wonderful panel together. Shout out to Jeannie Trin Rodriguez and shout out to Michael, our engineer. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here's my call to action. I don't know where it's going to be produced soon, but I'm sure you still have a seatbelt and hopefully one day it'll be very smart. So fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern on Coffee Break with Game changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.